I recently read somebody's thread on here about breaking into river country at Disney. I've also done it, but I took the next step as well. Actually swimming to Discovery Island and spending a night there. See, I was a senior in college finishing up my photography major when I began to hear hushed murmurs from my cohort about urbex, urban exploring. Now, for those of you who don't know, urbex is when people illegally break into abandoned locations to go exploring, usually just for the hell of it. It's become increasingly popular with photographers, however, because many of the occupants and businesses in these decrepit buildings just sort of up and leave, leaving all sorts of records and items behind. It's like a living snapshot from decades, if not centuries ago. As soon as you make your first cautious step into the building, it takes hold of you and transports you to the past. I gained enough confidence to go urbexing with a few friends, and it didn't take long for me to fall in love. I visited abandoned funeral homes that were shut down a century ago, where I marveled at how the place still smelled of the embalming fluids still stored there, safe in their glass jars. Aside from the layers of dust and debris, I mean, it looked and felt as if a funeral service would be held within the hour in the sanctuary. There was even an open casket near the pastor's podium, sitting there with its polished oak and fine velvet interior, still waiting to take someone to their final journey. I explored abandoned hospitals and mental institutions. There have been shows that try to illustrate what the insides of these look like, but, you know, they hardly compare to being there yourself. Each time you enter one of these abandoned buildings, it's like you're in the gold room from The Shining, and you seem to be locked in a time warp for the duration of your stay. For instance, when I explored a mental hospital in the middle of my state, I continually expected an erotic psych patient to come shuffling around every corner, which had me sweating bullets and, well, kept me on edge all night long. <laughs> Places of despair and suffering are especially prone to the collection of energy. I am absolutely certain, though, that there are patients within that building that still reside there, even though their bodily forms have long since decayed. But, you know, enough about that. Every urbexer in my home state of Florida knows about River Country. Located within the Fort Wilderness campground on Walt Disney World's property, it's actually really easy to break into if you know what you're doing and where you need to go. Now, don't ask me how to get in. I won't tell you. It's a thing for people of all ages to do, whether to experience the nostalgia of visiting the water park when it was open, and I for one have pictures of me on the slides of River Country, and at the shows and exhibits of Discovery Island when, well, they were in business. Or, because they are so obsessed with Disney that visiting the decrepit water park has become a rite of passage. The brave souls who visit that abandoned water park know that if they get caught, they are permanently banned from Walt Disney World for life. But for some like me and my friend Joe, the cheap thrill of exploration outweighed the consequences of being banned from the biggest tourist trap in the eastern United States. So, after our first and admittedly quick visit to River Country, one day before going drinking in downtown Disney, we decided that we wanted to swim the short distance between the park and Discovery Island. 
For those of you who don't know, Discovery Island was essentially a precursor to Animal Kingdom, functioning as a small zoo with a various assortment of animals. When River Country shut down and Animal Kingdom opened at around the same time, the animals from Discovery Island were moved to the theme park. A section of Animal Kingdom is still called Discovery Island, to pay homage to the now-abandoned island. Anyway, Joe and I started planning that day as to how to get over to the island, and as I'm sure you've also heard, Disney has eyes everywhere. There are cameras and security guards everywhere you look, and thankfully, you can learn to spot them and their hiding places. Joe and I hunched over our liquor in the most crowded parts of the bars of Pleasure Island as we talked in hushed voices about how and what we were going to do to get over to that island. Looking back, I'm thankful we weren't caught and banned for life based on the conversation we had that night, but I digress. After Joe and I got back to our hotel room, I quickly pulled out the laptop to do some quick research on the area around you know, River Country, Discovery Island, and, of course, Bay Lake, which is the lake that the island sits in. The first thing I noticed is how much stuff there is online with regards to boat schedules, and where security will be throughout Walt Disney World at any given time. Joe and I used these articles and forum posts to know when to avoid being around the island's shores. It's basically all day, if you were wondering, and we also used aerial maps to extrapolate how long we had to swim. While many Disney forums said that it would be a grueling 100-foot swim, Joe and I realized that it would be a 100-yard swim in calm water, after visiting Fort Wilderness and River Country for ourselves. Thankfully, Joe and I were both strong swimmers, so the excursion really wouldn't be a problem for us. The two of us would set out shortly after dusk. We packed essentials like water, food, and some survival gear, you know, just in case, into a couple waterproof bags that would act as our personal floating devices, as we swam from River Country to Discovery Island. Then, we left our car at the hotel, and took one of the complimentary Disney shuttles to Fort Wilderness, where we spent the day acting like tourists sitting on the beaches, playing in the pool, and visiting the animals at the campground's petting zoo. When dusk came, and the security guards went home for the night, Joe and I made our way back into River Country, which was to be our launch point to the island and our returning point when we came back. We operated in pitch black, making as little noise as possible as we found the hole in the fence that let us go into the abandoned water park. As with almost every other abandoned location I've visited, River Country looked frozen in time, with its inner tubes, water slides, offices, and pathways still intact. Joe and I took some time to explore the empty pools and water slides off the park before making our way to the launch point. Though the silence of the night was suddenly broken when we started hearing banjo music blaring from everywhere, which made me jump in a mile. I've probably watched Deliverance too many times. But soon after, the corny little banjo time came on, path lights began to illuminate a safe route to our launch point. Apparently, Disney is too cheap to stop running electricity and music to their abandoned properties. The swim to Discovery Island was about as easy as I expected it to be on that calm winter night, 
There were pages and pages of forms that warned of the alligators and, I guess, brain-eating amoebas that populated Bay Lake. But suffice to say, we didn't heed their advice. Every native Floridian grows up swimming with alligators and diving in natural waterways with God knows what microbes. So, swimming in Bay Lake would be no different. Joe and I made it to Discovery Island after about 30 minutes of slow swimming. We threw the waterproof bags on our backs and began our trek into the island, where it would be much harder to spot us. Within our first few minutes on the island, Joe and I got this feeling of, of being watched, like we were being stalked by some large predator. He chalked it up to adrenaline and called me a pussy as we found the first path to fall. My childhood memories of Discovery Island are ones that I'll always cherish. I got to spend a week camping with my family at Fort Wilderness, and we would often take the ferry over to the island to visit the tropical birds and, and see the collections of exotic animals. It was like a scene straight out of Jungle Book, which, you know, with its sculpted plants and the din of exotic animals rustling and calling out from the lush trees above, you know, this quaint little island still holds this charm. Although the exotic plants have overgrown and taken over the island, giving it a more wild appearance. The path we chose led up to a series of cages and small fences. It was obvious that during its glory days, this area housed a number of exotic birds that were free to roam around as they pleased. The cages were probably used to house small mammals or, or large birds of some sort. Joe and I walked around the area noting how the shallow ponds and sculpted waterfalls still retained their beauty. We then went to inspect the cages, which still had their exhibit signs on them. There was a large array of South American and African birds that we guessed once lived there, with the occasional mammal, but, but now all the cages were empty. I was inspecting a cage that once housed two cans when I heard some shuffling nearby. Joe? Joe! What was that? I asked, looking around to spot the danger. Joe pulled a knife from his pocket and brandished it in the direction of the noise. He threatened to knife whatever came out of the bushes until we finally saw what it was. A tortoise. <laughs> a giant fucking tortoise. Like one of the ones from the Galapagos. <laughs> Look, you must be a stowaway, I exclaimed, walking over to squat down in front of the large reptile. It hissed at me and raised its head in defense, as we were probably the first humans he had seen. I bet his parents laid eggs that the staff didn't even know about. There were probably a few of these guys scooting around the island, I bet, and there's certainly enough vegetation for them to eat. I patted the tortoise's shell as Joe made his way over to do the same. <laughs> See? Silence not so bad, huh? He asked as he'd pet our new friend. His toothy grin reeked of the confidence and fearlessness that, unfortunately, I lacked. Joe and I spent a few more moments with the tortoise before we moved on to explore more of the island. We found more exhibits and paths that led around this way and that, and we really couldn't help but take our time to explore each exhibit area and read every single sign spending an uneventful night nestled in the thick foliage of Discovery Island. Daytime was different, though. 
We had agreed to wait until dawn to start exploring the buildings that were still on the property, the majority of which we had found during our nighttime scouting, and first was the gift shop, located just inside the main dock where the ferry used to pull in. The cheery images of Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, and Donald in safari gear still looked new, even if the colors were slightly faded. There was still merchandise on the shelves as well, and Joe managed to stuff a commemorative magnet into his pocket while I looked at all the stuffed animals and t-shirts. I, for one, wasn't keen on stealing. Once we were finished checking out the gift shop, we went to go explore the husbandry buildings and indoor animal houses. Now, these buildings were still all pitch black, save for the small areas of light that shone through windows looking much like Mulder and Scully as we found the center of a large exhibit hall, Joe and I pulled out our flashlights and quickly realized that we weren't alone. Eyes. There were dozens of pairs of eyes reflecting the light back at us. Joe and I froze in our tracks as we saw a colony of monkeys looking back at us were larger, and far more muscular than any monkey I've ever seen before, probably a cross between multiple species that used to be on display. One of them yawned and showed off its fangs that were easily the size of my middle finger. We knew we had to leave. Now. More leftovers. Joe murmured to me as we began shuffling backwards towards the door. We didn't lose focus on the group of primates who were beginning to congregate. My friend's heel caught on something as we moved and he fell backwards, hitting his head on the cold concrete below with a loud smack, where he became unconscious. The colony of monkeys noticed Joe's fall as well. Acting like one large animal, they all banded together and moved in sync towards the still body of my friend, whooping and hollering at the tops of their lungs and their screams sounded human-like as they approached, some of them standing on two legs as they did so. The larger monkeys had to be at least four feet tall on their hind legs, looking almost human-like with patches of shaggy brown hair on their heads and coarse, short hair on their bodies. With about 20 of them now approaching Joe and I, with a predatory stare, I knew that I was going to be no match fighting them off. I slowly backed up 25 yards or so away from my unconscious friend before the colony of monkeys made their descent. What happened then is something I'll never forget. The monkeys, who now surrounded my friend, began to eat him alive. Joe's screams of anguish were deafened by the screams of the monkeys, who were now excited and enraged. They took large, bloody bites out of my friend, ripping him apart like a child's doll. Joe had a slow death, slower than I would have imagined from being ripped open, but, but I can only assume that he was in a state of shock as the monkeys began to violently tear his intestines and other organs out of his body cavity drag them off into their own corners of the room to eat. Occasionally, two monkeys would squabble over a clearly distinguishable body part, 
and I would often hear the loud crack of his bones being broken from their strong jaws and large teeth. I waited until each last monkey was occupied with eating, before I made my escape out of the building and to the edge of the island. Thankfully, none of them pursued me as I made my leave, beelining it to the opposite side of the island. My best friend was gone. It was his idea to go to this stupid island. He called me a pussy for being so afraid. I guess I was right after all to have my wits about me, because he was now in a dozen pieces, being ravenously devoured by some by some strange mutant primates that Disney doesn't want their guests to know about. I'm betting that there are more animals on that island, ones that, you know, have evolved and have mutated to become monstrous and aggressive beyond belief. I, for one, didn't stick around to find out. I can tell you that's... that's for sure. Being banned by some stupid park was far safer than being stuck on an island with God knows what wants to eat me now. I don't even remember the swim back to River Country, except for the fact that I made it back to the main Fort Wilderness campground safe and sound without getting caught. Upon returning home and taking a week of personal time to recover, I went to a local urbex meetup to tell people what had happened to my friend Joe. I was expecting surprised reactions from all the urbexers, but instead I was met with understanding and sympathy. Apparently many people go out to Discovery Island. It's just a thing, like breaking into river country is. However, most people don't make it back safe from the island alive, and the ones that do share their stories of predatory animals of all shapes and sizes. Some who survive their visit to Discovery Island say that Disney has a child trafficking ring, and the children who don't survive are brought to the island so that so that no evidence can be found. Others say that black magic and, and human sacrifices are performed there to keep Disney's profits up. I don't know, Walt Disney himself knew a lot about occultism, as the stories go. It doesn't matter to me which rumor about Discovery Island you believe, or why you would even want to go urbexing on Disney property. If you're wise, though, you'll heed my advice, and never swim out to that fucking island. If you do, prepare yourself for the horrors that abound in the one place that lifts the innocent veil of the happiest place on Earth.